they who stuck with us. We appreciate it. So here's what here's what we did. We okay. we had I'm not sure where exactly, but we had some kind of DHCP issue where our streaming encoder for some reason was grabbing the wrong IP address internally oh. in our network. And I'm not sure exactly what's happening. It might have been on a different VLAN in our system. Either that or it was just doubling up with a um, an IP address that was already assigned. <laughs> and I tried a whole bunch of things. You I tried did. restarting it. I tried reconnecting the network. You did. Um, and then I had to manually go in and assign a new IP address because that was my last track. And we got it working. So Amazing. this is when we need Andy Vanny here. He could have helped oh. us. He probably would have figured this out in like five seconds. He would have been uh, like, <laughs> that's what got, we need. Got a, uh, we always need Andy in the room. Yeah, he got a uh. network connection. <laughs> Bobby's a bit quieter. Okay, I'll turn her up a little bit here. Yeah, I can lean in a bit as well. Lean in. Lean in. I think there's a book by that title. There is. I'm going to give you a little more gain. All right. Test, test, test. Okay. You want to talk about something? Oh, man. Holy I mean, cow, we should just dive in. Give the people what they came here for. <laughs> what did you all come here for? <laughs> for the technical difficulties. <laughs> That's what they came here for. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, I know. Now, how was your I day? I just need to kind of settle, right? I know. Just settle no into this kidding. moment. Uh, my day was good. We had team hangs here we did our team meeting which was good. good i got a bike ride in i got a walk in so nice. i spent a little time i outside. also got a walk in this morning yeah. just with my dog as normal but uh i don't know if you saw the cloud yeah. just hanging over the city it was actually quite incredible when i was walking you could see the mountains mm -hmm. in the sun super clearly oh yeah and then this huge cloud just dragging over the city yeah i took a couple pictures of it yeah and it was cool and i sent them to my wife and she was like oh neat but it wasn't the same as yeah, sort of being, being there. It. it was, it was yeah, really impressive. Yeah, it was kind of strange. Like this, yeah, this like cloud of doom. Did you ever, uh, do you cloud remember the tr the Truman? What was what, the Truman Show? Truman Show? With, with Jim, uh, Carrey? Jim Carrey? Yeah. yeah. And I always think about that moment where he's on the beach and there's that rain cloud above him, him and he's trying down. It was sort of like the city was under that cloud today. Just uh, like, ah, uh, It was uh. totally under that cloud. <laughs> uh, is it a Chinook arc? And this time of year? I mean, that's I what it you looks can still like. technically have a Chinook. I mean, it's not going to bring drastic right. temperature changes. Right, right, right. But right. you're still getting the, what is it? Low pressure that comes uh, over the mountain or high pressure? To be, to be fair. I'm not, I, I'm not a meteorologist. I've lived here for over four years now. And still, when there's... When I when there's like maybe a Chinook, I have to ask people, is this is this a Chinook? Like, I don't really get it. <laughs> I just I says should it Google is a it. Chinook arc, but... Okay. But what is that? Is that a low pressure coming over the mountain or high pressure coming over the mountain? That's what I never remember. I don't think the people are here to hear us talk about whether... It doesn't have anything to do with pressure. I mean, I just made that up. All right. Okay. Well, we should just dive in. Sure. I mean, do we want to chat a little bit about like a check-in or do we just want to go for Let's just go. Let's just go. We're at 8.30 already. yeah. Let's no chit-chat. We've had IP assigning. Yeah, let's just go there. Address problems. Small talk. Holy so cow. we are in our inspired series, and we're in the third. We did the third yeah, one. Yeah, we on just Sunday. did the third one. Uh, we Scott's doing the fourth one. Yeah, that's great. It is. It's really good. Yeah, I'm excited. So, yeah, it's good. We're talking about the Psalms and poetry. Oh, he did tell me that. Yeah, he told but that's me a next week. That's not this week. Not so. this week. We'll talk about it next yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this week we were talking. You were talking about history and violence. Mm -hmm. And I, as I was going through your sermon and your notes today, I was thinking. I mean, where was Jeremy Duncan's voice in like 
I like that. In uh, in like all of the study Bibles. I was busy quoting you know I mean? myself. <laughs> Do you know like all of the study Bibles for like Bible college kids mm. trying to make sense of these violent narratives right. in the scriptures? And I feel like repeatedly what you get from a lot of those notes in those big Bibles yep. with the notes along the bottom of the page is like option A, which was your... Yeah, I'm trying to remember how I laid them out. I went through three different ways of yeah. thinking about it. I can't remember what order so I did them. So we were talking them. about like when you encounter violent yeah. text and you're not sure what to do with it. And you said we typically have three options. Yeah. One, God uses violence to get to God's end. Right. That was your language, right? Um, number two, I, I rephrased it as like they're evil and they deserve it. Right, yeah, like, yeah, who, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And number three, you said archaeological record, which I feel right. like you could expand on. Probably it could. was an interesting like decision to name that as option yeah. three. Um, yeah. So you're right. I mean, I think the first the first two. I I think actually the second one is the most common. Do you? If I had to pick, I think so. This this idea that I don't know, but my I feel yeah. like Mike's okay. The I mean, they get they both get a lot of airtime. Right. Yeah. I think we could say that. Yeah. Yeah. So the first option is yeah that that. God is God and God can do what God wants. And if God wants yeah. to kill a bunch of people, God can do that. And to be fair, I think this is part of why this series is important the way we've laid it out. Because if you already have a reading of Noah that says, yeah, sometimes God wipes out planets. Is it that big a deal that God wipes out Canaanites? Right. Like, like how you set the story up, yeah. you know, kind of unfolds in terms of how we read, which becomes really important because as I quoted um, Robert Allen Warrior, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he says, you know, like once we buy into the conquest narrative that that's okay. Right. That's actually the ideology that was used in terms of the conquest of um, indigenous populations right. um, in North America. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you've already bought into the idea that, yeah, sometimes God wipes out whole planets with floods. Mm -hmm. Sometimes God wipes out people whole groups people. because, you know, God wants that land. Mm -hmm. Then why can't we wipe out indigenous populations, you know, now that we've discovered this land? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, these are not just purely theoretical theological debates i mean they, they they have very real implications for real human beings oh, yeah so mm -hmm. so that's the first one yeah is yeah. you know god can do whatever god wants and sometimes god uses violence yeah the second one is sort of the same i mean god yeah. god's using violence but it's because people deserved it like god would right. never it's not just like they were living on the land and god wanted the land so right. god wiped them out right. it's that you know, they, they didn't deserve that. They were evil. Yeah. You know, they did these terrible things. And to be fair, we, we, we did talk in later in the sermon about some of the child sacrifices in some of the Canaanite religions and stuff. And so yeah. that's why people put that together. Right. You know, they, they were wicked. They were evil. They were doing these terrible things that the Hebrews were not supposed to do, which is true. I mean, we read that later in the text. Yeah. Um, therefore, God just wiped them out as, almost as an act of mercy. But the archaeological record, the, the reason I named it that is because um, if you set the Bible aside mm -hmm. and you go look at uh, the record in terms of archaeology and in mm -hmm. terms of what we discovered from these types of sayings, right. you realize that they're not actually sort of objective records of history. Right. Because we have the Moabite king 
declaring the same thing about the right. Israelites that the Israelite king is right. declaring it's about like the Moabites. The vernacular of the day. Exactly. To speak in these. Ways. Yeah, and then I, and I loved um, Walter Brueggemann's quote where he says, "You have to bring a class reading to these texts." What does he mean by that? So he means that. Um, what we actually see is the, the more of an underdog this nation was, the more hyperbolic their language is. Mm-hmm. So you have to read it in terms of who's the power center mm-hmm. and who's the underdog in these stories. Mm-hmm. And what happened in the ancient world was the more of an underdog you were, the less likely you were to prevail, the more grandiose your language it's was. It's rap music. Yeah, it's exactly. rap music. Yeah. It, it is like... It's a great comparison. It, it, I live with that comparison. Yeah. It actually helps me so much mm-hmm. as I hold the, these texts to think yeah. about like, if you have been oppressed mm-hmm. generation after generation, ghettoized, yeah. um, drugs have taken over mm-hmm. your family system because of so much trauma and oppression from outside, from the powers that should take care of yeah. you. Um, what do your songs, what do your victory yeah. songs sound like whilst you're mm-hmm. oppressed? They sound like this. They sound yeah, like Yeah, and I mean, literally Jay-Z. in yeah. the Psalms, you know, we see Psalms like, happy is the one who dashes their enemy's babies on yeah. the rocks. Like, I mean, just right. terrible right, stuff, right, right. you know, which is exactly that. Like you're so beaten down. Yeah. All you want is to let that frustration out. Right, right, right. And that's a little bit of what we're seeing in these things. The other thing is in the archaeological record, there doesn't seem to be the kinds of populations yes. and the kinds of changeovers um, that we see written on the page. That we see written on the page. Yeah. Like there wasn't, you know, millions of up. Israelites marching in right. and slaughtering millions right. of Canaanites. Like it, it just didn't happen. It's right. not there in the in the archaeological record. Right. So then the question becomes, well, okay, well, what's the story about? Yeah. How are those words being used right. in terms of political propaganda? Right. And also, what do they tell us about the story that's unfolding over time? Yeah you know, in terms of, of who God is. Right. Because mashed together with these verses in Deuteronomy talking about, you know, taking over the land, you know, you also get the voice of God saying, hey, take in the foreigner and the fatherless, mm-hmm. the widow, um, treat the alien among you as your own because you were, you know, foreigners once in the land of Egypt. Like there's these sort of conflicting messages that are happening there. Mm-hmm. And so understanding, okay, one is propagandizing a national story. Yeah to galvanize the nation. One is the voice of God that's counterbalancing that and bringing some, um, some more depth and breadth to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is, you know, this is not archeological record, but the biblical record mm-hmm. shows us that they didn't wipe out all the Canaanites. Right, like, you trace the Canaanites you can, Yeah, you can all see all these Canaanites. Yeah. And by the way, on Sunday, I used, um, I introduced you to like Jethro and uh, Caleb the Kenizzite mm-hmm. and Askar, his daughter. And I'm using all these terms like Kenizzite and stuff. Those are all, all of those different um, sort of nationalities that I reference fit under the sort of umbrella of the mm. Canaanites. The Canaanites were a collection of Semitic tribes back right. then. So when you pick up your NIV yeah. Bible, are, what are you seeing? Are you seeing variations of that word? So like what how do, what yeah, happens in the translation? It's tricky because it's, it's not necessarily a, a bad translation, but it doesn't always bring a lot of clarity to yeah. it because... You might not make connected exactly, dots. Exactly, because when it's talking about coming in and, you know, wiping out the Canaanites, that's a generic term for all these tribes. And then later you'll meet a Jebusite and a Kenite right. and all these different people. And you might not realize, okay, those are all Canaanites. Right. They're just different 
you know, tribes or ethnic groups within that sort of umbrella covering of well, these I'm, ancient I'm waiting Semitic for worlds. the Jeremy Duncan study Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I mean, there's there's that one. Uh, I'm trying to remember where it was, but I quoted, I think, from Judges or Joshua, where it says, like, you know, that the Jebusites are living to this day in Jerusalem with the Benjamites. Right. Like, like this is somebody well after the fact, right. reflecting on the stories of the conquest and saying, like, to this day, they yeah, still live still here among here. us. They're right. still living with us. Yeah. So I mean, clearly, you can't take right. those kind of commands to slaughter everyone right. just at face value. They're important. They're part of the story. Yeah. But we sort of have to, we have to dig and we have to read these different ways. Class reading. Right. Understanding national propaganda. Yes. Understanding how that narrative fits in with the historical record. Right. Like it's, it's complicated. It, it is really complicated. So speaking of complicated, what I wanted to do, I pulled some of the words that came up again and again in your sermon. And I wanted to sure. like go through those. Yeah. Um, even just the word hermeneutic. Yeah. You gave it a definition you didn't use interpretation though which i thought was interesting no. like you said uh meaning yeah. you, you attached it to the word meaning so hermeneutic so let's talk a little bit yeah. more about what because so i think that's what we're doing with this definitely series but yeah. so i thought it might be interesting to, to spend a bit more time with the word so outside of biblical scholarship hermeneutic is how we derive meaning from something mm -hmm. now that includes interpretation yeah uh, but it's not just interpretation. It is the, the bigger idea of where meaning comes from, how we make meaning, how we create meaning, how we understand that. Part of that is, okay, here's a text. Here's how we translate it. Here's how we interpret that translation. But it also comes into, you know, do you put all of that in a story or do you systematize it into um, like, like a system? Like those are two different ways of creating meaning in something. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about um, Jesus is our hermeneutic, what I'm saying is Jesus is, the story of Jesus is the way that we are going to make meaning of all of these right. texts. So we're going to look at the history. We're going to look at the archaeology. We're going to dig through all that. But ultimately, um, what I'm going to say is, if I can't make sense of this in the light of Jesus, then I'm either going to set it aside and come back to it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep studying more. Yeah. Or I'm going to, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to help me be creative in terms of how I reinterpret these things. Right. Because the meaning I'm going to get out of this is how it leads me to Jesus. Hmm. And that's the conviction that I'm going in. You know, when I talked about presuppositions and prolegomena. Yeah. Yeah, prolegomena. I mean, that's, that's what I'm going into this story with. Right. So, yeah. Okay. How do you use hermeneutic? I probably just connect it to interpretation right. more, but I appreciate the larger, mm -hmm. the larger space that you're making for it. Yeah. yeah. Is it, I don't know how meaningful it is to do that, but yeah. Yeah. I, I was curious about it. Uh, okay. Another word I put on my little list is uh, Commonwealth. Commonwealth. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've talked a little bit about this. We have uh, talked about this before. I mean, do you want to talk yeah, about sure. it? Sure. Okay. So what do you want to say so about it? You, well, it's interesting because I picked up on it a while ago. Yeah. I was like, that's not something that you've used yeah. a lot. So, um, so you were using, you were saying together kingdom mm. and commonwealth, yeah. kingdom and commonwealth, kingdom and commonwealth. Um, so heads mm. up on Sunday, that Sunday's liturgy, I did put oh, nice. commonwealth into oh. the liturgy. So, you know, if you listen to it. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a, it's an attempt to find um, or expand our vocabulary around what is the center of Jesus' message, which is the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. So the core of what Jesus preaches, the core of what Jesus is about is this idea 
of the kingdom of God, the basileia theou. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the language in Greek, right? Mm-hmm. The problem with that is we don't live anymore in a world where we have kings, where we have kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's a little distanced from us yeah. as a first issue. Yeah. Um, because, you know, that's, we don't live in sort of these Political monarchies. configuration. Right. We have, we have something like different that. now. The second is, you know, again, we, um, we don't run away from gendered language when it comes to God. There's a lot of gendered language when it comes to God. Most of the language in the Bible is gendered, either female or male. Like there's, there's a mixture. Um, but there but is mostly male. Mostly male. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but I think it's important to also have language that stretches beyond that. Yes. I, have, I think father language is beautiful. I think kingdom language is beautiful. I think if our only ways to conceptualize God are masculine mm-hmm. and are tied to authority, mm-hmm. uh, you know, then I think we're losing out on something. Yeah. Now, I, I worry a little bit about dropping that language completely because right. I, I think it plays a role. Right. You worry um, more than me. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think we need to balance those things. Like, like yeah. I, I would think the same thing if we said, um, if we only used mother language for God. And that became the only way that we talked about God. I mean, we could do it for ve- maybe five sure. years. We maybe could do for it for a couple centuries. <laughs> you know, you would start to miss out on something, right? right? right, right. Like there's no danger of that. And, I'm, yeah. and so I'm talking theoretically here because there's yeah. no danger of us swinging so far to the other side that we forget sort of masculine imagery of yeah. God. Like that's a, that's a, it's not a real argument. It's a straw right. man argument. But I do think that's important to retain this idea of, hey, we have this multiplicity of images. Yes. How do we yeah. hang on to them? So Commonwealth is one attempt by me to yeah. sort of say, okay, let's, let's push that language out a little bit more. Yes. Let's imagine um, the ruling and reign of God mm-hmm. in a way that's less um, autocratic and yeah. less authoritarian. Yeah. Because I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all with no, kingdom if you, language. No, if you spend any time with the narratives, yeah. you will not see yeah right a, a jeweled crown mm-hmm. and a scepter in the ways that you yeah. are maybe in fact i think a lot of what jesus is doing by using that language is contrasting the yeah. rule of god with the rule of rome yeah right so when we're using it in a sort of um disconnected context yeah and it's not subversive anymore exactly right because there's no kingdom to subvert mm-hmm. we're actually missing a lot of the meaning yeah right because a lot of it was god is not like caesar yeah. You know, God is bigger than Caesar, right. over Caesar, but not right. like Caesar. It should be shocking exactly. to hear Jesus use that language. And so um, when we use kingdom, mm-hmm. we're missing a big part of what's going on with that language yeah. because it's not subverting things for us. Right, right, right. So that's one thing. Commonwealth is not perfect, but I'm interested in it because what it does is it creates a, a sense of mutuality yes. in terms of the ruling of God. You know, um, there's still a way to operate in you know, the Commonwealth or the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. right? There's still a way that honors God, yeah. but it becomes out of this sense of mutuality that I know who I am now. Right. I know that I'm loved by God. I operate this way. You know, um, God is not above me, but God is with me. Mm-hmm. God is leading me still. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not me and God on equal terms with each other, mm-hmm. but it's also not me as this aunt and God, you know, cracking the whip or something. Right. It's, it's invitation, it's movement, it's partnership. Right. So I like that. And then Commonwealth, like the commons, I mean, I'm, so we named our church, but you know, the, the, the commons yeah. are um, the shared resources of the Commonwealth, mm-hmm. right? So the air is part of the commons. 
theoretically the water is part of the commons nobody mm -hmm. owns that we share that together mm -hmm. and so even all of these ideas of replacing kingdom with something that we're in this together we're sharing right, this together right, we right. share the story together right. we build the story together right. god walks with us in yeah. the story is interesting mm -hmm. layering on top of that the moving away from the exclusively gendered language that we speak about god because right. so again i speak about god as a father if that's the metaphor yeah but generally i talk about god i talk about god's self yeah um but as soon as i then talk about god's kingdom now I'm half in, exactly. you know, there's God language and I'm half in this masculine language, yeah. you know, because a king, kingdom is not a man, right? but it's, it's named on this, this idea of, of yeah, the king, yeah, the man. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just enjoying uh, the sort of playfulness right. of, of this moment of your decision to move <laughs> forward with this word, sure. because I think we, I, there is something um, like in our human experience that sort of craves something poetic something mm -hmm. that like i think when words get used over and over and over and over and over again they they're kind of dull mm -hmm. and i think a lot of the language of our sort of current configuration of popular christianity mm -hmm. is is like here's the bucket of metaphors that we always use and right. there's not a lot of like movement outside of it and quite frankly, just kind of gets boring. Like yeah. it's, it's, it, I think we have, we, there's room for us to uh, find ways that our language can be more just, mm -hmm. uh, more inclusive. And, you know, Commonwealth works in some ways, yeah. specifically based in Canada, like right. where Commonwealth is a system of government for us. We are part of the Commonwealth. Yeah. You know, would it work as well in the States? Maybe not. Right. Because, you know, I think, in some sense, we have a positive view of commonwealth. Like it's not a negative word for yeah. us. But in some sense, you are, when you say that God's commonwealth, you are contrasting the current system of government yeah. with something better. Right. You know, if you're an American and you hear that, does it mean anything? Right. You've probably heard the term before, but it, right. it doesn't, you're not, it doesn't have that same kind of yeah. um, juxtaposition. Right. But right, for right. me, I like it. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah here for it yeah okay cool <laughs> we i mean we've yeah. had this conversation around the office yeah i mean I, just trying to figure out yeah like what language can we use how can yeah. we talk about these things how yeah. can we push our thinking right you know and i yeah. you know, i'm a some, bit more i'm a bit more sensitive to to, yeah. s to language um may i just crave something mm -hmm. that hasn't always like been representative of right. my experience or my theology um mm -hmm. like and i so. i mean and i really like language like i mean yeah that's what I do. Right. I mean, I, I like playing with those things. Yeah. So I like thinking about that. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Where do you want to go now? Is there anything that you really want to pick up on? Or mm -hmm. kind of back to the theme of this week's message? Well, I mean, I think the one thing that's um, actually most challenging about this message is really not the what do we do with the violence of the Old Testament? Okay. I mean, I think a lot of us have kind of wrapped our heads around that. Do you that, think so? Yeah, I mean, not, not everybody. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of people have sort of made peace with the idea that, okay, this is an unfolding narrative. We yeah. see violence in the historical narrative. That right. makes sense. We should expect that. We shouldn't be thrown off by that. Right, right. It's um, a particular time. It's a particular place. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Yeah, and however you interpret God in the mix of yeah. that, I think people have made sense right. of that. I think... You know the idea of of the cross and what's happening there Tell with me. the violence. You go there? We can Do talk about it. it. How much time we got? What do we? Have we have fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes? 
Yeah, because I I was that was actually one of the words on my list. I just kind of cut it off. I didn't know if you wanted to do something else. (laughs) Uh, Because I mean, you what was some of your language? Um, I don't know if you want to. How do you want to go about talking about about this? Uh, Like, do you want to map out like different atonement theories? Do you want? That's an interesting one. Yeah. What's What's your Um, favorite atonement theory? Oh gosh. I don't know. So, I mean, so if, so I love understand. the idea of being like multi-metaphor, right? right? I, I, I want to have yeah. room to like locate these different theories in mm-hmm. the text and allow them to like m- have different resonance in my yeah. life. Yeah. So we, I mean, we've talked about this before, yeah. but um, just so everyone, <coughs> as a refresher, um, there's Christian dogma, yeah. which is, that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are made at one with God. Mm-hmm. That's what Christians believe, all Christians. Um, I would hazard to say that if you reject that, then you, you're probably outside of Christianity in terms of Orthodox Christianity. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. Nothing like that. It just means, you know, in terms of the classical sense of what we mean by that word what we get stuck on sometimes is there's all kinds of different theories of the atonement in terms of how that works. Yeah. How exactly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are we made at one with God? Um, and what's happened in the last few hundred years is right. one particular theory called penal substitutionary atonement has dominated a lot of the imagination. And so when you go to the study Bibles, yeah. you know, depending on who the yeah. publisher is, a lot so of what you're going to read. Yeah. So much of it. It's penal substitution. And this is a systematic approach, mm-hmm. which basically argues that no, God really did like sacrifices. Um, and God can only forgive when there is a blood sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That's why there were sacrifices in the temple. Um, the only way that we get away from blood sacrifices is to have a, a sacrifice that's so great and Mm -hmm. so good Mm -hmm. that God can use that to forgive all of our sins. And that's Jesus. So God demands a blood sacrifice. We sacrifice all kinds of animals. And eventually God says, okay, I've had enough dead animals. Here's my son. This is going to be the best ultimate sacrifice. And that will finish everything. And the argument there would be that, you know, what the atonement is, is just, you know, a final sacrifice to end all sacrifices. I don't think that's consistent with the full biblical narrative. Mm -hmm. And that's what we walked through a little bit on Sunday, this place where God does say, okay, you need to know you're forgiven. Bring me a sacrifice. Do this. Yeah. How you mapped out Leviticus. Exactly. That was your sort of three, three phases, how you kind of simplified these major arcs in the scriptures. You went with Leviticus and sacrifice you went with the prophets prophets, and looking out for the underdog Mm -hmm. basically right Uh, i mean that's one way but it's it's a shift from the ritual sacrifice it's it's yeah calling it into right right right. yeah into being in your heart and and who you are yeah i'm tired i don't need all of these piles of sacrifices that's what you did um I'm interested in your heart. Yeah. Right, right, right. So and that's then the prophet into, into Jesus, right? Yeah. And I think, and I think that is that, I think what the prophets show us is, um, God is clearly saying, I don't want sacrifices. I don't need sacrifices. Right. And you need yeah. sacrifices. Right. You need to so know So I can work forgiven. with that. You, you were, that yeah. was sort of one of your lines. Like, 
all right, everybody worships this way. I can work with that. Totally. Essentially. We're going to, we're going to reform sacrifice. Right. We're not going to do child sacrifices. Right. We're not going to sacrifice in front of an idol mm -hmm. that limits your imagination of God to a specific people group yeah. or, or ethnicity. Cause that's what idols were used for. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do away with that, but we'll still have a ritual. You will still know that you're forgiven because mm -hmm. you've gone through the steps. Yeah. But by the time you get to the prophets, yeah, God is speaking again and God is saying, look, those were never for me. Yeah. What I wanted was a broken heart, a contrite spirit. I wanted change in you. I yeah. wanted justice. I wanted you to do the right thing. Yeah. Sacrifices were always for you. Right. And now you keep doing them, mm -hmm. but you aren't changing. And I've had enough. I don't yeah. want any more of this. Yeah. I'm done with it. Yeah. You know, like there's some harsh stuff in Isaiah where he's like, I'm not listening to your prayers. Right. I'm not listening to your songs. Gosh, right. I'm not showing up at your right. festivals. I'm not right. coming to your meals. Like this God is just like, I'm done. still applies. Totally, totally. <laughs> you know? Right. But I think what that shows is. You can't is, be good to your neighbors. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And what that shows though is God was never bound by the rule of ritual mm -hmm. in terms of um, God really wants to forgive. Like God is loving and wants to forgive. But God can't unless there's a sacrifice, mm -hmm. unless you bring that go, or unless right. Jesus comes and dies. Then, right. then it's like God, like people tell the story as if God's hands are tied. Right. Like, I, I, think, I love you, I want to forgive you, I but I can't. I think that's where a lot of people walk away, right? It's like, I just, that people have this hunch that like, what kind of God is that? Yeah. Like, I, if that's Well, it's not that God. Is, I mean, it's, yes. it's, like a, it's like a lesser deity. Yes. Who, somebody made a rule. But that's what I'm saying is that this gets um, taught again and again yeah. and again and again. And it's like, if, if you want to call yourself a Christian, right. like, this is how, what you have to believe about God. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people I went to Bible college with, for example, right. get this feeling like like I'm a better parent than that God right. is to God's own son so that sort of crisis of like yeah, I mean it's quite provocative language but yeah. Rita Nakashimi Brock you know caused this way of thinking yeah. about the atonement is cosmic child abuse this is what the word you know? I wanted to yeah. say I was like is it too far yeah. if I say this <laughs> <laughs> well you can just name the, it on Rita Nakashimi that, Brock yeah, that's that, the term that she uses that for is, it if if that God is that way, yeah. that's an abuser. And mm. my sense is like, I want nothing right. to do with an abuser. But again, my, my argument is that's not even consistent with the biblical yes, narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's showing us, hey, we can do sacrifices, but we're going to do it this way. Right. And then slowly I'm going to get you to the point where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you that those sacrifices were never for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't need them. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I, I wasn't stopped from forgiving. Like God has more secure attachment. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, so then we go through this period of the prophets where God is like tearing down all these rituals, all this stuff. It's still happening, mm -hmm. but God's saying like that alone is, is never going to get you there. Right. Um, so, so it shows that, that ritual and sacrifice was always part of an equation in terms of our at one mint with God. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't the part that was coming from God's side. It was the part that was coming from our side, mm -hmm. right? It was the thing that we needed to go through the motions and show the thing. What God wanted, you know, in terms of forgiveness was, was a change in us, a changed mm -hmm. heart. Then we get to Jesus. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of, you know, heavy stuff going on. But ultimately, I think what we see in Jesus is God saying, okay, um, all of this violence mm -hmm is being carried out. And some of it is being pointed in healthier ways like sacrifice and some of it's being pointed in unhealthy ways in terms of ostracizing the outsider and the mm -hmm. foreigner. Um, but now 
comes the time mm-hmm. where I can, I can show you what forgiveness actually looks like. Mm-hmm. So not a ritual that helps you feel forgiven, not the things that you need to do and change mm-hmm. inside you um, to be forgiven. Now I'll show you what it looks like. So Jesus comes, allows us to treat Jesus as our scapegoat, mm-hmm. right? Because that's, I mean, that term right. comes from Leviticus. That's what they mm-hmm. usually did. They, they put their sins on a goat and they chase it out of town. <laughs> so we scapegoat <laughs> Jesus. You right. know, we put all our violence on him. And then God says, okay, here's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. In the midst of this moment, as I'm dying, as I'm taking your mm-hmm. violence, I forgive you. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You, you don't fully comprehend how evil this is. Therefore, I refuse to pay it back to you over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like, violence, all of human history, violence is being transferred one to another back and forth and, and it cycles around until finally God steps into the story mm-hmm. and says, okay, here's how, here's what forgiveness looks like. Mm-hmm. You absorb the violence, mm-hmm. you sit with it, you feel it, you endure that pain, and then you say it stops here. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not paying it forward. I'm not doing this. So we get this model of sacrifice, which is if you need to know you're forgiven, you go through these steps and you can feel good about yourself and you can move forward. Do we get to the prophets? Forgiveness is actually about changing you and becoming a new person, mm-hmm. um, living in a right way within a new kingdom in the world right. or commonwealth. commonwealth. And then we get to Jesus, <laughs> which is like, okay, now I'm going to give you the ultimate expression mm-hmm. of what forgiveness looks like. And that's where our eyes are finally opened to all of our violence, to all of our sin, and we're freed from it. Because mm-hmm. before that, we're trapped without Jesus. There's no way for us to really be aware of all of our sin, to really be aware of all of our violence. So it's only in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, mm. the human being who owes no debt to violence, who has no sin, who bears all of our sin. Mm-hmm. We put it all on Jesus, all of our violence on him. He becomes sin for us, mm-hmm. literally, all of our sacrifice, the way that we scapegoat things, he becomes that for us. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's the epitome of our sin mm-hmm. is when we scapegoat someone else. And Jesus says, I will become that. And in that climactic moment, when you are doing that to me, I will still tell you you're forgiven. Mm-hmm. That to me okay. is a really beautiful way of thinking about it. I moment. love it. One of the things I want to walk out a little yeah. bit is, um, so we use the language of abuse. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not interested in a God that is an abuser. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do we make sure that we're not sort of seeing this as like, it's okay that I absorb abuse yeah, I think, and yeah. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. w- when I'm mapping what yeah. you're saying out in our relationships, um, particularly when I think about domestic violence, mm-hmm. you know, that this idea that like I would just take it in mm-hmm. and it would, yeah. like I could somehow transform this yeah. sort of be, you know, what, how do we be careful with our language? When I think we do have to be guess. careful, but I do think this is the real crux of the gospel Mm -hmm. that violence does not have to be paid forward. Yeah. You know, that terrible things can happen to you and you, you aren't, you don't to heal from that. You don't have to do it to someone else. Right. Right. You don't have to pay it forward now. But I also want to make sure it means I'm not just like, again, just mapping it out in relationships. Um, like yeah, absorbing this horrible treatment. Um, like, if I'm, I'm not striking back, mm-hmm. then I'm not violent, but it becomes a violence, you know, in my head. Yeah, and I think, I think this is the real challenge of yeah. it is what does that mean? And how do we live that out? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you live with nonviolent direct action yeah. in terms of creating change, in terms of pre- protecting yourself in the world, all these types of yeah. things. Um, but understanding that 
anytime we take the violence that been, has been done to us mm-hmm. and we put that on to someone else, yeah, we have now participated in that, in that cycle over and yeah. over again. Now, you know, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I think, you know, we've talked about this in a couple series when we did Ashes. Um, yeah. We talked about forgiveness. We talked about boundaries. Yeah, and, we talked and about the how you, series too, you know, yeah, exactly. We, yeah, you talked about it in yeah. that one. How you can come back to this and how you can, you know, creating boundaries is actually part of learning how to yeah. forgive and how to protect yourself and mm-hmm. how to remove yourself from situations where you're right. actively being harmed. Right. All of that is good. Um, and I think we would be doing a disservice not to name that part of the, the story as well. Yeah. But as soon as it becomes this bad thing has happened to me, therefore I need yeah. to do something bad to someone else yeah. to heal, to let this out, right. to find catharsis, then I think we have become part of that cycle. Yeah. And that's, that is the same thing that we're talking about when we talk about cycles of violence in terms of domestic violence mm-hmm. in homes. When kids grow up mm-hmm. watching that, you know, and they watch, you know, a mother who's abused, right. who then abuses children, right. you know, um, and then children who do the same yeah. to kids on the playground. I mean, this is sort of our yeah. human story over and over again. Yeah. And part of the way that I think you get out of that cycle is you learn to understand that you are loved and you are valued and you do not deserve this. Right. Therefore, it's okay to remove yourself from this situation. Right. Yeah, I guess I'm still trying to lean into like, how is this empowering? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if I just, again, kind of walk it out, because mm-hmm. I do love this way sure. of, of speaking about atonement. I, I really do love this idea that like all the worst that we would throw at this moment of, of the cross is transformed into that mm-hmm. death is transformed into life, that yeah. the, like uh, your worst nightmare can become like th- this incredible way of life, mm-hmm. um, way towards life. Uh, so I'm just trying to like walk that out. Like, you know, if, if I'm stopping, you know, if something violent has happened to me and instead of keeping it, you know, what is, what is that place of mm-hmm. transformation? Is it like, oh, I need help. I'm going to get some help for this and mm-hmm. begin to like, you do, I think when you're facing some of the trauma in your life, have, have mm-hmm. to go in with it to to move on yeah. from it um so it's something something about transformation that's quite incredible um yeah i'm just looking for like the yeah. empowered way yeah 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 i and I, I don't think having a conversation about this without naming what you're saying would be complete mm-hmm. um you know and i think it's it's wrestling with that tension all the time i mean yeah the the pieces that come to mind to, to me yeah. would be jesus saying things like you know, if somebody strikes you on the left, you know, or turn the other cheek, you know, that whole idea, which is about, you know, without going into it too much, you know, he's talking about a backhanded slap versus an open-handed slap, you know, which again, as strange as it sounds in our culture is, you know, a slap being dismissive in terms of a servant or a slave or someone, and in terms of disciplining a child and this kind of thing. And, and Jesus saying, listen, if somebody's going to dismiss you, then you confront them and you say, if you're going to treat me that way, you're going to at least treat me as a human being. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if somebody demands that you walk a mile with them, which Mm -hmm. is essentially the rule in terms of uh, Roman occupation, that a centurion could ask any occupied person who was a non-citizen to carry their stuff for mm-hmm. a mile. You know, Jesus says, you, you refuse to allow them to decide who, what your value are, what your mm-hmm. limits are, what you can do. You get to decide when you walk and when you don't. You choose that for yourself. 
if somebody you know sues you for your cloak you know you strip down you take everything off and you hand it to them and you say listen if you're going to take my clothes away i'm going to stand here naked and i'm going to show you how how your greed has has become naked in you and, and how terrible this all is so there's there's ways to do you know and walter wink calls this direct nonviolent action hmm. that this is nothing nothing about this is passive right nothing yes, about yeah. this is yeah that's about really just allowing things to happen yeah you know i think this is one of the things people misunderstand because of a trick in our language when we talk about pacifism yeah um which sounds like passive but they're not the same word right pacifism comes from the word pacific which means tending toward peace mm-hmm. passive means like non-active allowing things to happen yeah and that just i'm always like oh no no, yeah and i I think passive uh, um pacifistic is about non-violent direct action to create change to push back against things Um, but you know i mean it does get really complicated in terms Mm -hmm. of how are you going to play that out in any given moment totally you know because i think there are all kinds of ways that we can justify violence it's a violence world yeah. Uh, and I don't just mean physical violence, all kinds of violence. Yes, yeah. And so we justify our response right. in all kinds of different ways. Yeah. But then what Jesus is telling us is then the world continues as it is. Right. Forgiveness is about mar- you know, making a break away right. from what the story of the world is. And that's hard and it's difficult mm-hmm. and it's painful in mm-hmm. some ways. Um, you know? Yeah. But if you say that without this conversation and without naming those things Mm -hmm. then i think it becomes ripe for all kinds of abuse yeah that's it yeah so it's it's about those tensions yeah Yeah, those are the words i think that i that um i'm relationally mapping on Mm -hmm. to these atonement theories is like something that's abusive and then something that's like submissive yeah and and where those those things can be really toxic (laughs) in our human relationships yeah and i mean we've seen this in unfortunately I mean, there's been a number of stories in the last year out of different traditions, the Southern Baptist Convention yeah. of, you know, pastors telling women in abusive relationships, like that divorce is worse than abuse oh and God. you can't leave. Right. right. I mean, that is, um, that's not a way of redeeming violence with nonviolence. Exactly. That's a way of perpetuating, perpetuating existing yeah. violence, yeah. you know, um, like that's that kind of advice. I mean, it is violence in itself because you're creating more harm to yeah. somebody. Um, saying to that woman in an abusive relationship, um, you need to leave. Mm-hmm. You need to get support. You mm-hmm. need to be away. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the hard side of Christianity. You need to work towards a point somewhere where you can forgive that person. Right. So you can. Is it right free. now? Right. Exactly. Is it right now? Right. Is it this moment? No. In right. fact, that I think can it, be it yeah, incredibly it abusive when we tell people you have to forgive right yeah. now. But to a woman who's been abused, I want to say someday my yeah. prayer for you is that you will be able to let this go. Right. So that you'll be whole again. Yeah. But you'll never be in that situation. You'll yeah. learn from this. You'll carry it with you. Yeah. You'll never forget it. Yeah. So that you will, you'll always be able to protect yeah. yourself. You'll never be put back right. in that situation. Sort of re- relearn love and to know that love is for you. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but this is, I mean, this is really important when we have yeah. these conversations. Yeah. So. So, um, so we talked about penal substitution. Yeah. Um, what is the name for the atonement theory that you mapped out for us? Yeah. So um, there's a couple of different ways. We call it scapegoat theory. That's the main way we talk about it. Um, sometimes it's sometimes it's called substitutionary atonement. 
And this is one of the the tricky things it's is... Really, I really find this language frustrating. Yeah. So part of penal theology. substitution, I think, is unhelpful. Yeah. What it's saying is we need a substitute to take the punishment that, from, from God. God. Right. Right. And so Jesus that takes that of, penal punishment. Yeah. Then God is satisfied. Right. The term is propitiated. Yeah. God is propitiated, which means God is satisfied. God has no more wrath to give out. So now God can be loving. God can forgive. That's penal substitution. I don't think that's helpful. Substitutionary right. atonement is really important. I just wish a woman would have written Which, this book. Honestly. Yeah, maybe we would have Honestly, I'm stuff. endlessly frustrated with this language. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I think substitution actually is really important because mm -hmm. it's what it's saying is Jesus takes our place. Right. Right? So, and yeah. then that is really beautiful and really meaningful for me. Okay. Right? That, that Jesus takes my place. Like, I see the ways that I've been mistreated. I mm -hmm. see that in Jesus. I see that Jesus, you know, taking that role and being that person and responding mm -hmm. with grace. Um, I see Jesus teaching. I see myself there. I see my sin, mm -hmm. you know, put on Jesus, all of those things. Do you think we run the risk of something, again, kind of pa like passive in that way? Well, I mean... Like, does it kind of like let you off the hook from the work of... But like isn't that, some, isn't of, some of that the point of the gospel? Is it? Right? Like, I mean, I think the gospel is not that, you know, we do our work and we come out better people. Mm -hmm. um, I think that comes after the gospel. Hmm. And the good news, you know, as a is starting point. It, the work is done. Yeah, the work is done. Okay. You're forgiven. God loves you. Um, now there's a lifetime of work ahead of you. Yeah. So I'm not, you know, I'm not pushing back from yeah, that piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm but curious I think about it because I feel like that is a pastoral um, issue that I've met mm. years for years and years and years is sort of that like, I keep praying this thing. Why doesn't God mm. answer this prayer? And I'm, I'm leaning more mm -hmm. towards something like much more participatory and... Sure. You know that, yeah. I'm, I, oh, so I'm, I'm, kinda, I'm with you 100% yeah. when it comes to that type of yeah. thing. Yeah. Like I don't, but again, sort of tracing it back to like, yeah. where do we get this idea that like we should sort of be so passive, mm. uh, that our prayer is so passive? You know, can we trace some of it back to some so, of this language of atonement? I don't. It's interesting. I think I think in terms of gospel, it comes back to. Uh, I mean, now we can get really nerdy <laughs> into. It? It's after nine, dude. Yeah, we okay. Let's wrap <laughs> this up here quickly. But I mean, we can get really nerdy into stuff like. Like this is what we're talking about is Pelagianism here, right. right? Is can you do anything in yourself um, to will yourself toward salvation? Mm. Um, and, you know, sort of the Pelagian idea is yes. The semi-Pelagian is, oh, like, no, but you can start that process and then God meets you in it. I mean, traditional Christianity, orthodoxy has said, no, like Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism mm. are out of bounds. It's God that comes to us. It's blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm -hmm. It's before we did anything, before we knew anything, mm -hmm. before we could even begin to move in the right direction. God came us and found us. Now, what you're talking about is terms of, is probably in terms of ecclesiology, mm -hmm. is like, how does that get played out in churches? Yeah. Well, that turns into passivity, but I don't, I don't actually see Jesus teaching that. Right. I see right. Jesus saying, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. I have come to find you. Here I am. Let's begin this journey together. Now, yeah. take up your cross. Come and follow me. Right. Here's my hard teachings. You know, yeah. leave your family yeah. if you need to. Right. Care for your, you know, your neighbor. Yeah. Like, Sell everything you have. Exactly. Like, I mean, th- there's nothing that's sort of passive in Jesus, mm-hmm. but, it's, but the initiative always starts there with Jesus in terms of how we begin to understand the good road. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think, that is where, um, like, I am very much sort of like an orthodox, classical, non-Pelagian Christian. Mm-hmm. That, that I believe that it's only in the Christ, it's only in the cross, mm-hmm. that my eyes are even opened to this possibility of not moving violence around in a circular pattern. But as soon as my eyes are open to that, mm-hmm. well, now if I'm taking it seriously, and now if I have a community around me that's challenging me and pushing me, well, now I have a whole lifetime of figuring out, okay, now how do I help someone who's right. in an abusive situation, an yeah. oppressive situation? How do I change myself so that I become the kind of person the prophets were talking mm-hmm, about? Mm-hmm. I've had Christ meet me, yeah. but now I'm still on this journey, right? So I'm saved, but I'm being saved right, every right. day, yeah. you know, as, as Christ is shaping me and changing yeah. me. So. Um, I'm just making, I, I just want to make sure that things are working. I lost chat function. <laughs> I don't know if we're still on. It's uh, very still possible. On? I mean, everything says that we're okay this okay, time, but okay, we've had okay. enough problems, so you never know. I know. I got a little distracted. We, we've been point. talking for, uh, it's after nine years. What do you want to end with also, here? Also, um, defund sacrifices was a point. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's great. It's exactly That's what Jesus really is saying good. though. Uh, well, we always end with gratitude, so yeah. I think we should end with gratitude. Yeah. What do you got? Ending with gratitude. Yeah. Um, so we were going to talk about this. We've made some changes in our plans for reopening. Yeah. So we're going to go to one service right. um, for a number of reasons, but we're going to go to just a 10.30 a.m. service. So if you're interested, go to commons.church slash reopen. You yeah. can reserve tickets there yeah. for that first week. Um, but what I'm thankful for in that is an incredibly agile team at Commons, right. um, both our staff team and our board. We yeah. have some board meetings uh, on the weekend, okay. which you are part of, and then our meeting with the team today. And uh, just seeing a community and a leadership that is um, willing to respond to change and doesn't get caught up on things yeah. and wants to be thoughtful yeah but at the same time it's like yeah like we'll adapt we'll be agile yeah. we'll shift we'll change i mean it's this is the season for agility. exactly yeah so that's, really that's honestly i mean all this sounds strange but that's what i'm really grateful for this week is just mm. such a team that's so open to trying to figure out ways to move forward in a, in mm-hmm. a crazy time like this yeah 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 so that's nice um i'm i'm really grateful for i spent a little bit of time this afternoon listening to um, my sister-in-law in conversation I with yeah with like a high school friend of hers so we grew up in Esterhazy Saskatchewan and her family had immigrated from India and she was born in Saskatchewan raised in our small town community um, and was one of like very few visible minorities and I loved hearing her story from this other perspective of someone asking her the questions, I just wish I would have asked her some of these questions, like, you know, what it was really like for Mm. her in this small town to grow up, um, as a Brown kid. And, uh, so I was so grateful that somebody took the time to engage her and that they shared it. And I put it on, um, on my Facebook page. Yeah, so I haven't watched it yet, but really, I saw the link yeah, on there. Yeah, I was reading through like, your description and stuff. It's so. really, really neat. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I took some time. So I was just really grateful that she's my sister-in-law and uh, 
we have her in our family. So cool. yeah, I feel, feel grateful for Helen. Okay. Yeah. Um, so apologies for getting on air like Truly. 20 minutes late today. Uh, but we figured it out. Yeah. We were like, we should, should we call it? Let's just, let's just, we'll do it next week. Yeah. And then I was like, but I, I want to figure out what's happening. So we did it. Yeah. And I'm proud of us for that, Bobby. Yeah. Good job, Jared. Yeah, we did good. <laughs> All right. Agile. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Have a great night. Yeah.